Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Paul writes, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. We have a United Methodist campground over by Tahlequah. It's on a little tributary to the Illinois River called Barren Fork Creek. It's Camp Egan. It's a beautiful retreat center and camp. I first had opportunity to go by myself the summer before my seventh grade. No one else was going from my church, so I wasn't really sure that I wanted to go, but my parents encouraged me. My older brother and sister encouraged me, so I went to camp. Turns out I love camp. I love the Christian community, I love the worship, the singing, the games, the folk dancing, hiking in the creek, small group discussions, worship every day, multiple times a day. It was all wonderful. So the next summer, when it was time to sign up for camp, I was ready. I knew what I was getting into. I knew some of the leaders were coming back from the previous year. I knew some of the students that I had met from other Methodist churches would be coming back and we would have a great time together. And sure enough, we got to camp, and some of the kids I'd met before were there. One of them, a, a boy that I'd met the summer before, said to me on the very first day of camp, I think we should have camp girlfriends this year. <laughs> I said, well, okay, how do you do that? He was a little more socially advanced than I was, and he said, I'll take care of it. And sure enough, by that evening, I had a camp girlfriend from his church. We had a great week together. The next year when it was time to decide to go to camp, I kind of had mixed motivations. I love the Christian community, but I thought, who might be my girlfriend at camp? For the next two or three years, 
Truth be told, I went to camp with mixed motivations. I did love the Christian community and all the activities, but I was also looking for a girlfriend. And then the summer before my senior year, things began to change some. I was beginning to grapple with the sense that God was calling me into ministry. So that summer when I went to camp, I still had a girlfriend, but the conversations about faith with the leaders and with my peers became ever more important as I was making decisions that would shape the rest of my life. I was making decisions deciding who I wanted to be and what kind of follower of Christ I might be as I matured in my faith. By the time I was a freshman at the University of Oklahoma, I was pretty clear that God was calling me. My decision was becoming clear. I was feeling called into ministry, into full-time ordained ministry in the United Methodist Church. Now, it might have been wiser to follow my father, who was a CPA, and go into business, or be like his best friend, who was a lawyer, or maybe like the fellow across the street who was a banker. It would have been wiser in the ways of the world. I mean, it would have meant more money, bigger houses, more vacations, fancier cars, more toys. But I just couldn't get there. It wasn't the call I was feeling from God. Some of my classmates even thought I was foolish going into ministry. They said, too many restrictions, too many rules. One of them even said, I, I just don't get it. You're giving your life over to a dead guy? But truly, it was the only choice that brought meaning, purpose, and peace to my life. To some, it was foolishness. But Paul says that's not all there is. He says to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, the power is not because I was called into ordained ministry. The power comes with recognizing, any one of us recognizing that God is alive in our lives and calling us to be disciples of Christ in whatever vocation we find ourselves, whether it's homemaker or teacher or student or professional in this arena or that. Do you sense God's leading, God's calling, God's work? In your life, it is sensing the call of God loving you and guiding you forward in that love that brings purpose and power. Listen to Paul again as he writes it to these early Christians at Corinth. He says, consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Consider your own call. Consider your own call. That is the key, Paul says. He says, I'm called 
to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then he says to the Corinthians, you are called to be followers of Christ, to be the body of Christ alive in the world. He says, by extension to you and me, you are called of God. Will you respond to the call? Paul acknowledges that it's foolishness to some. In his day, Rome was clearly the power of the world. They were the dominant power. They enforced it with violence. If you got in the way, if you challenged them, you could be crucified. Losers and criminals and derelicts are crucified in the Roman world. But it's not just a way to put you to death. It's also to shame you before you die. In one of the biblical commentaries I was reading this week, the commentator said crucifixion was more than state-sponsored execution. It was meant to demean and shame the victim. Indeed, it may have been embarrassing to the early Christians that their Lord had met his fate by crucifixion. Then he quotes another scholar and adds, Enduring a shameful death, the crucified one overcomes our shame by letting us experience the boundless love of God. Christ takes the ultimate weight of shame to lift our heaviest and most secret burden, the feeling that no one loves and respects us. In other words, facing into the foolishness of the gospel of the crucified Christ removes the burden of our shameful feelings about ourselves. The message of the cross can remove our shame and our inclination to shame others and invites us into a new reality of boundless love. An old spiritual I learned at camp was burdens down, Lord, burdens down. When I lay my burdens down, I'm so happy, so very happy when I lay my burdens down. It goes on in another verse to say, glory, glory, hallelujah, when I lay my burdens down. It's a song of this reality of which Paul speaks can leave your burdens at the cross can lay your burdens at the foot of the cross as they say you can release your shame and your guilt your sorrow and your sadness can lay down your sins you can give up the past god is ready to love you into a new reality into a new future it may look like foolishness to others to follow this crucified one. But Paul says, oh no. For those of us who see what God is doing in Christ, it is the very power of God. The shame, the foolishness, the vulnerability of the cross becomes our salvation. Let me read you a couple of the verses that were in that passage we read. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. 
or this later in the passage. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. God is the source. God is the source. That is the clue to all of this, that God's love has started all of this. You and I did not start this. Paul's reminding these Corinthians who have fallen into this idea that one human leader or another is more important than anything to say, oh no, it goes well beyond that. God is the source of your life in Christ. It is a gift, a free gift coming to you out of the boundless love of God, as our reading said earlier, or the abundant love of God. Theologically, we call it grace, the gift of God's unmerited love offered to every one of us every day of our lives. The source is beyond us. It came before us, and yet it comes to us. It's pretty typical on any given week when I'm coming and going from the building to work every day that I run into someone who's here for a tour. Sometimes there are tour guides around to lead them, but often I just take a few minutes and show them around, tell them a little bit about the building and those who designed it. Inevitably, they say, whether we're in here and they're looking up or outside looking up at the tower, you have a magnificent building. Your building is so beautiful. And I always say, it's not my building. We do our best to take care of it. But we must credit those who were here in the 1920s, the visionaries who fussed and fought with each other until they came to this design. Those who fought to hang on to it when they almost lost it in the Great Depression. Those are the ones who were the source of this beautiful building where I get to come to work every day. I want to make sure we credit those who did this and not those of us who are just taking care of it, who inherited this great gift of this beautiful edifice which inspires us to worship. Not my building. I'm not the source. Paul is saying our faith comes from a source beyond us. God is the source. And this is revealed to you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you hear it in those last couple of verses? God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for, for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The good news is you don't have to carry this on your own. God has started this. God is the creator. God is your redeemer. God is your sustainer. Count on God. Look to God. Don't get confused about whose initiative we are living in. The Corinthians seem to have twisted this or forgotten it. They're starting to look at some different people in their midst saying, oh, it's all about Apollos or Paul or Cephas. And Paul's saying, no, 
not about me. It's not about Apollos, and it's not about Cephas. God is the source. Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa died the day after Christmas last year. You may know his name. He traveled to the United States fairly often later in his life to give speeches. He could be a harsh critic of his own church. He was an Anglican archbishop or his own country or our country and our leaders. He came to prominence, though, as he moved from being a school teacher early in his life to becoming a priest in the Anglican communion and then being promoted through the ranks. And then in the decades before the fall of apartheid, he became a very strong and vocal critic of that system of white minority rule in South Africa until it fell in 1994. After apartheid fell, Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa. They wanted to set up a truth and reconciliation council to try to bring the people who had been opposed to one another in terms of race relations together again so that as a country they could move forward. And President Nelson Mandela appointed Archbishop Desmond Tutu to be the person to shepherd that process. It was a difficult and painful process the people were going through, but Desmond Tutu spent several years working on bringing his people and his country together as one. Later in his life, he became more well-known after he got a Nobel Peace Prize for that work, and he traveled the globe speaking he broadened his approach, advocating not just for better race relations, but for greater inclusion of the LGBTQ plus community, for human rights and civil rights for people across the globe. The amazing thing to me as I read about his life and death was that it seems as if every person who wrote about him mentioned that in the midst of all the conflict and all the pain and all the controversy which he had lived through and at some point stirred up, he said he never lost his sense of humor and he never lost his sense of respect for every other person with whom he was working. Sometimes he used an African word or African concept ubuntu which suggests that we are only human with other humans we're only human when we recognize it's not only i but it's always at its foundation we god has created us as social beings we find our meaning and purpose in relationship with others christ has established the church to be that vehicle where these relationships of love and goodness and meaning and purpose can grow and flourish. Paul says to these people in this fledgling church that he started, there's no need to attack each other and divide up and take sides. There's no need to boast my leader or my idea or my faction is better than yours. If you're going to boast, it must be in the Lord. And the church 
of Jesus Christ. We are all a part of the we, the source of which is God. Archbishop Tutu was once asked toward the end of his life how he hoped that he might be remembered. He thought for a moment, then he said, he loved, he laughed, he cried, he was forgiven, he forgave. Greatly privileged. May it be so for us all. Amen. And thanks be to God.